Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So we're in week three of our series, Stress Lesson. We've been walking through the 23rd Psalm, which is probably the most quoted, the most known psalm that is in the Bible, right? It's just, everybody's heard the 23rd Psalm, and we said before, if you're from Texas, you probably have a coffee mug, a t-shirt, a, a picture on your wall, or something that somebody has knitted with the 23rd Psalm on it uh, in your possession. You know, it's been around, you've seen it, you've heard it. It gets read oftentimes at funerals and things as a, as a verse of encouragement and uh, to help bring, bring, bring peace in that moment. People often read it when, when life is crazy, when storms Storms are raging, and it's that, that, that calm and that peace that comes from remembering who our shepherd is and who the Lord is. And so we're in week three. So the first week, we talked through the first three verses, and, and it's the, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing in the NIV. It says, I lack nothing. If the Lord is our shepherd, what more should we want for? If, the, if we recognize who our shepherd is, what more could we possibly need, right? And so understanding. And, so, and then he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. And that was a reminder to all of us that we need rest. And one of the greatest ways to combat stress and anxiety and worry and depression is for us to actually take time and rest. We need it. It helps us to re- recharge and refocus and put things in perspective and understand the, the magnitude of things versus the greatness of God, right? So we need rest. I heard a, a pastor this past week say this, and it was really great, and I wish I would have had it for week one, but we're going to use it now, and I'll give him credit. His name's Anthony Scoma. He says, the, the keeping the Sabbath holy is the only one of the Ten Commandments that we break and brag about. Think about that. We go, man, I worked 100 hours. I did this, I did that. You know, and, and we don't find time to rest and shut off. And, and we then go and we, when we say, listen, to, look at how great I am. I worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. And then he did, this other guy did this incredible study showing how severe uh, um, overworking can be. And in the Japanese culture, they actually have a phrase for it. And I'm not even going to begin to attempt to say it uh, for a lot of reasons. One, I don't remember it. And two, it would not even be close to Japanese by the time I was through trying to get it out of my mouth, right? Let's just call it what it is. Essentially, though, the Japanese term they have is called overworking death. And so it became such a problem in the 80s, they actually had to give it a term because in the culture, it was if you're not working hard enough, you're not trying, you're a disgrace to your family and stuff. And they were finding these young people, 21, 22, and up to like 30 years old, who would work several hours. One young man was 21 years old. He worked four days straight with only naps in between, never left. And at the end of the fourth day, he died. We need rest. It's unhealthy for us physically, and it is detrimental to our mental health as well. So if we're going to be serious about combating stress and combating depression and combating anxiety and worry and depression and everything that comes with that, we have to take time to rest. We are mandated to take a day every week and keep the Sabbath holy. So, so that was week one, and we talked about that. And then we talked about how all of this is for 
his name's sake. So everything that the Lord does, all of that that he does for us, all that he does in us and through us, all that he does is for his name's sake. As great as we think we are, it is not about us, which is good news to us because that means the pressure is off. It's not about us, but it's about the Lord and that God does things to stir our affections for him to bring glory and honor back to his name and to glorify the Father. And so on the good that he does for us, yes, he cares for us, he loves us, he's there for us. Understand that. This is not to, to take away from his love for us. God is love. We know that from, from 1 John, but, but God is love. But all of that is to stir our affections for the Father and to glorify his name. So then uh, we, last week we talked about uh, in verse 4. And and he says this, he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. And we'll go through real quick here. Uh, We will all go through dark times in our lives, right? We will all walk through the valley. Um, David, as he's writing this, doesn't say, even if I walk through, it says, even though I walk through, as if he is there in that moment, right? He's saying, even though I walk. So the encouraging word there from David was, hey, you're going to have bad times in life, right? Like, oh, thanks, David. It really makes you feel good, right? And so he says, listen, you're going to have those dark moments, but even though I walk through that, he says, I will fear no evil. And then we define the word evil as any external thing that would bring uh, fear or destruction and things of that nature. So that's what the word evil was in that context last week. And he says, I will fear no evil because he knows who is with him. He says, the Lord is with me. And remember being reminded that God will never leave you or forsake you. He's not turning his back on you. He is walking this road with you. And the other thing we said was that it's not about sitting and resting in the valley, but it is that I'm walking through the valley. I'm pressing on. I'm not staying put, but I am pursuing the other side, right? I'm seeking to make it out of this and not, not settling there. And then we talked about how the, the rod and the staff, they comfort, that the sheep have weak eyesight. And, and the, the, the shepherd in the evening would allow every one of his sheep to pass under the, 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 the hook part and the crook part of the staff. And they would just tap them on the head so that they would be aware of the shepherd's presence because they were easily startled by the things around them. And so they would bring peace to the sheep by allowing them as they passed under to know the shepherd is here. The shepherd is here. So it brings us to today and into verse 5. So in a couple of weeks, we are going to jump into a wonderful day known as Thanksgiving. How many of you love Thanksgiving, right? Again, it's one of those days we get to indulge in gluttony and brag about it, right? So it's not one of the Ten Commandments, though. So (laughs) Uh, I'm just kidding. But Thanksgiving is wonderful, right? So, so I love Thanksgiving. This year, Thanksgiving is with Lauren's family. And so we kind of rotate this thing. So then Christmas is with mine. Last year, Christmas was with her family. Thanksgiving was my family. So that's how we do this, right? And that's our, our flow and, and our process and the way we've operated. And it's how we do holidays anyways. Uh, and so this year is with, with her family. And I, I love knowing that when I walk in the house, I know that the buffet in the kitchen is used only for desserts, and it is a wonderful thing. Like, nothing else is going to sit over there. So I know that when I finish my meal and I eat all my veggies and I make a happy plate, I can go then to the buffet where it is like a smorgasbord, because 
you never get to say that word enough, of desserts. And it's like, man, it's this incredible thing. And there's this huge spread. But before that, I'm going to walk in the house and there will be this aroma of goodness, right? Everything is cooking and baking and it just smells so good. And you've got this huge spread, right? And isn't that one of your favorite things when you walk in and you go, there is way too much food here for all of us. And we are going to end up with leftovers for the next week and a half. But on this day, we get to say thank you for the abundance in which we are about to partake in. And then we fall asleep because the tryptophan is strong and, you know, and it's, it's a good afternoon, right? So Thanksgiving is a wonderful, we have this huge spread in front of us. And my mind went there as I started prepping uh, for this message and, and reading verse five. And it says this in Psalm 23, five, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup over." Flows. And today I want to walk through this. I've got four points. We're going to go line by line uh, through this text as we just kind of look at what is David saying? What is David telling us? And what, is, what are we being reminded of and being reassured of? Now, remember, David is in this point, he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, he said, I'm in the worst of the worst situation in my life. We have to keep all of this framework and understanding in mind as we look at this text because we don't want to just isolate it and look at it separately as its own thing, but keeping in mind the context and what David has just told us in the prior verse is that, listen, I'm in a dark valley, but I'm not afraid. And then he says, in this moment, he says, right now, he says, you just prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And he's saying, as dark as it is around me, I'm in this horrible spot. My enemies are present. They're here. They're watching. And the Lord just says, come and eat. And so he says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup over. So the first thing I want to do this, then is this very first point today is this, the Lord cares for you. And he says, you prepare, you prepare a table before me. The very idea of the Lord preparing for you means that he's given forethought, right? He's given time to think about you, that he is preparing, knowing and anticipating your arrival. That's reassuring, isn't it? That's encouraging that, that God is thinking about you that God is aware of where you are. He is very aware of the situation you're in. And in that moment, he still prepares the table for you. He says, but listen, no matter what's going on around you, no matter what storms are raging in your life, no matter what stress, no matter what worry, anxiety, or depression that you feel and walk through, the Lord still cares enough to just say, I want you to stop. And I'm going to prepare this table for you. So the Lord thinks about us. He cares for us. The word prepare means to set in order to set out, right? So that's the the Hebrew meaning. And it it very much aligns with the English meaning of the word prepare. that That is taking time to do the necessary preparations to set things out, to set them in order. So that means that there is careful placing and everything looks right. Don't you love when you walk into a, a dinner or something and the plates and like the table just looks amazing? You're like, oh, I feel kind of special right now. Probably can't afford this. This is good, right? You have that kind of, it's that feeling, right? It's this really cool thing. So you go in and the Lord has prepared this table for you. And you walk in and you're like, oh man, this is really cool. 
this is, this is awesome. This is, this is first class all the way. This is incredible. So he prepares. And then, then the other thing, just, just for framework and understanding of what it is that David is saying, the word table, the Hebrew word actually means like a leather mat that's just kind of rolled out. So it's, this, this, it's laid on the ground. So you have to understand just the framework and the understanding of what David is saying. So this isn't like removed from this valley that we're walking through. So the understanding or the idea that, that we've just shifted scenes or that we've shifted locations in this text is actually, uh, it, it doesn't, doesn't line up with what's happening here. So shepherds would oftentimes take their sheep to flat areas that were grassy, and they would often be referred to as tables. And they said, we're going to let them feed on the table, right? And so the shepherds would take them to these, these places where the sheep, and we have to understand our framework that, that in this, we are the sheep, right? The Lord is our shepherd. We are the sheep. And that he's got this whole place prepared for us. And so the table that we're thinking of, think of it just, we're still in this darkest valley with our enemies all around us. And there we find this spread prepared for us. So that's kind of the, the imagery of what we're, we're finding here as we see what David is writing for us. All of that to say is this, the Lord cares for you. He has a place for you. And, and he wants to see you cared for and loved. Have you ever seen a, a movie or a show, it's like a medieval type, you know, dinner or banquet where the king spares no expense and there's just this awesome, awesome, awesome spread and you walk in and it's like this huge, it's always a pig, you know, this is what it seems to be with an apple in its mouth, which I've never actually seen in person, but I'm sure it happens somewhere because it makes it into every movie at this point in time that has to do with medieval things. And so it's like, one day I want to see a pig with an apple in its mouth being served before me. But, you know, it's, it is what it is. So, uh, which David didn't think that because he was Jewish and they didn't eat pig. Anyway, okay. So... This is where my mind goes, right? So we have this huge spread. So when you think about this, the king spares no expense, and he invites all of the special guests to come. And he, in the king's perspective, it's an opportunity for a couple of things. One, to, to love on the people and to show his care for the people, but also for the king to show how wealthy he was, right? They'd have these banquets so that the king could show off with all of his wealth, like, look how great my food is, look how awesome our staff is, look how great all of this is. And, and I almost have that same kind of mindset that, here we are in this valley, in this dark moment, surrounded by our enemies, and the Lord is saying, I have spared no expense for you, and I care for you so much. I'm laying this out, and I'm inviting you as my distinguished guest, and I'm, allowing you, I'm asking you to come and to banquet with me and to dine with me, with everybody else looking on. Let them see. I'm not worried about them. Come and rest in the presence of your enemies with them looking on and enjoy and be cared for and feel the love of the Father. In the middle of everything, no matter how dark it is, no matter how awful it is, remember that the Lord prepares a table for you. I think the best example that I find in Scripture actually involves David. It actually involves David, and I think this is a, a great depiction of us with the Father. And in 2 Samuel uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, uh, you, you see uh, uh, the story of a, of a young man named Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. And it says, verse 4 of chapter 4 in 2 Samuel, says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. And here's what happened. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, meaning that they had both been, they had been killed. And his nurse picked him up and fled But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was 
Mephibosheth. Now, so here we have the grandson of the former king. Now, the customary uh, following the procedure would be that the new king would come in and wipe out the family of the previous king. Now, that was not David's MO here. That wasn't, David wasn't going to just kill everybody. He wasn't looking to just wipe them off the planet. But out of fear and out of anxiety and out of worry, we see that this nurse picks up Mephibosheth and tries to go run, and she trips, she falls. He is dropped, he falls, and becomes lame in both legs, and he can't walk. And so now, because of fear and worry and anxiety, he's crippled. Have you ever felt that way? Felt crippled and, and, and completely broken down by fear and worry, anxiety, depression, everything just, just feeding on you and just pushing you down and pushing you down to the point to where you can't function fully and operate correctly. So here we have Mephibosheth out of fear is crippled. But then we go down to verse 7 and David says, and at this point he's, he said, is there anyone in, in the family of, of Jonathan that I can show love to? And so then he goes and he finds there's a young man, a grandson, the son of Jonathan. He says to Mephibosheth, he says, don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Verse 8, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's grandson of your master will always eat at my table. I would love to take an entire three weeks and walk through all of this. But I want you to hear some very important things today out of this. Mephibosheth knew what it was to be in depression. He knew what it was to be uh, full of fear. When he approaches the king, he's in fear. There's fear in that moment when he comes to the king. And he's saying, don't be afraid. And then he even calls. He says, who is, who is your servant that you would notice a dead dog like me? You want to talk about being low? You want to talk about being broken? You want to talk about having nothing to live for or feel? He lived in a place called Lo Debar. Do you know what that means? It means nothing. Literally means a place of nothing. How awful of a place would you, what would you say? Where do you live? I live in low down, good for nothing, Texas, right? Like, like that's essentially what low Debar means. Like that's the city he lived in. So he's in this place. Everything around him is depressive and it is pushing down and he is crippled physically. He is crippled mentally. He is broken emotionally. And in that moment, David says, is there anyone in Saul's family that I can show kindness to? And here's what I love. I love this. Oh, this is so good. He says, because of your father, Jonathan, Here's a, oh, this is so good. Some of you go, man, I'm so broken. You don't know who I am and you are called and you're to sit at the table of the king. He says, come and banquet. You have a place at my table. And he says, why are you doing this? He said, because of who your father is. You need to realign and understand who your father is. See, you're not just the product of the situation of the world around you, but when you give your life to Christ, you are brought into the family. You have a new father. And so because of who your father is, you are told you have a place at the table. He cares for you. 
you are no longer who you were, that the past and, and the things around you, we need to stop and recognize and remember who our Father is because the Lord cares for you. The Lord cares for you. The second thing is this, the Lord protects you. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. My first thought, the initial reaction is this, that, that I don't know that I would want to sit down where I know that my enemies are lurking and watching on, right? You go, that doesn't sound like a great place to sit. Doesn't sound like a good spot for me. But this should remind us of something simple, is that the schemes of the enemy have no control over us. They may try to affect us. The enemy may try to bring us down. He may try to bring stress and greater anxiety, greater worry, greater depression, but those things cannot rule over us because the Lord protects us. What I love about this, this is a blatant mocking of the enemy. It's to say, you think you're so big and bad. You think you're so great. You think you have all of this, you're striking fear in my heart, and you go, I'm not even worried about you. In fact, I'm so calm and protected. I'm so relaxed in this atmosphere. I can sit down and eat and dine in front of you. For me, whenever I become uh, worried, whenever I become anxious or nervous, I can't eat. Like that's what it, I, like my, I lose appetite completely. And so if you ever see me and we go out to eat or whatever and I'm like not really hungry and I'm not eating much and I'm like, uh, I can, there's probably some sort of stress in my life or worry that I'm dealing with or walking through and I'm going, uh, you know, and, and eventually I'll get hungry and then I'll finally be able to eat. And go, but it's like, that's, that's kind of how it affects me. So if there was the enemies around me and if I did not feel calm, if I did not feel safe, I wouldn't be able to partake in the beautiful food and spread in front of me. And so David is saying, you, you, your protection is so great around me that even in this moment, I can rest and eat. So when you think about sheep, their greatest enemies that we find in, in this, in the text is, would be wolves and bears and lions. And here's what's so good that we see is that, that they think when wolves attack, when they attack, when sheep attack, they don't come out and like, they don't like send a telegram. Hey, by the way, at 3.30 tonight, I am going to attack your sheep. And so watch for me from the east, right? They don't, they don't tell it. But here's, here's what I love is so great. Their schemes are never new and they think that they can hide and then attack and come out of nowhere. So this is what it's telling me is that as, as stealth as they think they're being, as, as stealthily as they think they're attacking and, and trying to come, is that even in that, that kind of moment of trying to, to hide in the grass or hide in the bushes, that they are not, they're not hidden from us. That the attacks of the enemies are, are consistent and the same over and over and over. How many of you know that in your life, it is usually the same things that trigger your stress? It's usually the same things that trigger anxiety and worry. It's even the same things that trigger uh, you know, our failings and, and sin in our lives, right? It's consistent, right? There's nothing new under the sun. The attacks of the enemy have not changed forever uh, in, in all of eternity. It is the same things over and over and over and over and over. And so we, we try to play these games like, I don't even know where it's coming from. I don't know when it's happening or what's going to happen in my life. There's no way that I could ever possibly determine when the attacks are coming. Here's what we see in this text is that the Lord is saying, listen, I'm fully aware of where your enemies are. 
And if you stop for a moment, you'll be aware of where your enemies are and the things that cause your, 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 your worries and your anxiety and your stress. So he says, and so I'm going to put the table right there in front of them and let you be reminded that the protection of the Father, that the Lord, his covering is so great that you don't even have to worry about that and you can stop and enjoy and partake in the table that I have set before your enemies. And it's this mocking of them going, you can't even do anything. You're sitting here watching me eat. And even at that, you have no way of attacking. While I am sitting unprepared for battle, partaking in what's in front of me, you have no authority. There has to be a a shifting of our mindset and, and a reframing of our understanding of how great God is. And if he cares for us enough that he is in fact willing to protect us when our enemies are boldly in front of us. This is even in this moment now. The storm, you may feel like your enemies are just pressing on you in this moment. And whatever those enemies are, whether that's relational, whether that's financial, whether that's, that, that's work stress or work-related issues, things that, whatever those are, you may feel it in this moment now, but remember that the Lord says, hold on, I'm preparing a table before you, even in their presence. Because I want you to know that I am covering you. I'm protecting you. I'm watching out for you because he cares for you. He cares for you. One of the neat things about shepherds and what they would do is they would find these places, right, that we call tables where they would bring the sheep together to come and to eat. And then oftentimes what they would do is they would set up these low walls, mostly just so the sheep couldn't get out. So they were kind of corralled, so to speak, in these small areas. And, and, and in that space, it wasn't a large enough wall to keep predators out. It wasn't designed to keep predators out. It was simply just designed to keep the sheep in. And the door, there would be no gate on the door. There wouldn't be anything to, to even deter any sort of attack of any kind. But the shepherd would sit and rest at the opening. Just as a way of saying, I'm the gatekeeper. Come and eat. We know that there are things all around us that want to come and attack and to, to pull away or to take down one of the sheep and, and drag them off or whatever it may be. But the shepherd says, relax and rest here and eat at the table as he just sits and rests at the opening. The third thing is this. The Lord welcomes you, and he says, you anoint my head with oil. Uh, So we have to look at historical context to understand this because this would have been a cultural greeting of honor. Um, In in fact, it, it was... Very broad, it wasn't just in the, in the Hebrew culture, but it would have been in several other cultures, even into the Roman culture of, of anointing with oil as people came in. And so when you would have guests come to your home or, or come to a banquet, your distinguished guests, you would stop and you would make this kind of ceremonial um, honoring of them, and it would involve oil. Many times, in the, obviously in the Jewish culture, it would have been the anointing with oil on the head, and they would take uh, olive oil mixed with fragrances and spices, and, and it would make this, this kind of a beautiful perfume-type smell, and they would take that, and they would put it on the head of the guest to say to all of those around that, this is my honored guest. 
This is my distinguished guest. This is the one that, that we are so excited to have. And he says, you bring me to this table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil as a way to say, I am, I am cared for and, and I am protected. But I am more than that, I am welcomed and honored at the highest level amongst everybody at the table, amongst everybody at the banquet. And so it's this really cool moment, symbolic of so many things that we see. But, but here's what we find is that Typically, when you see in the Old Testament that they're anointed with oil outside of like kings being anointed uh, as kings and things of that nature, what you see is that we are anointed with the oil of joy or the oil of gladness. In Psalm 45, 7 says, uh, you, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. The oil of joy. And this also makes me then think of what, what David wrote in Psalm 51. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So this oil and this anointing is a symbol of, of not only am I welcomed, but, but you have brought me into your salvation. You have brought me into the family of Christ. You have brought me into relationship with the Father to the point of the joy of salvation. He says, I have anointed you. I have marked you. I have called you mine. And if there's anything in this world that should ever stir joy in our hearts is is the, the understanding and the remembrance of our salvation and remembering that Christ gave his all for you and I so that we can walk in the joy of salvation. And joy is, 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 is necessary. Here's the thing. There is a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness doesn't doesn't sustain. Happiness doesn't, doesn't continue on. Happiness doesn't carry you through because happiness is found in, in possessions. Happiness is found in moments. Happiness is found in, 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 in just simple things along the way. But joy is sustainable because joy can be found in the darkest of situations. You may not be happy. You may be sad. Have you ever had a moment, and this is a cool, a cool moment in life, is when you go, I'm sad, but I have joy. And that's a unique place to be, where I go, the world around me is pretty difficult, but at the end of the day, I have the joy of the Lord, and that is my strength, and that's what's going to carry me through. The joy of the Lord is sustaining me. The joy of the Lord is carrying me on. The joy of the Lord is what I'm leaning into, and not happiness that I'm seeking or trying to find, but it's the joy of the Lord. And if you grew up in kids' church, you sang a song, said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Right? That's where my mind goes. And removing ourselves from the pursuit of happiness, not to diminish or downplay the American ideals, right? That's, hear me, this is not an anti-American statement, but finding the peace and the joy of salvation, realigning ourselves with the salvation that comes from Christ, and feeling that welcome and that, and that honoring that comes from the anointing of oil and the oil of joy or the oil of gladness that only comes from the Father. It only comes from the Father. One of the things that can happen in depression is the misunderstanding of who we are in Christ. Because we begin to see ourselves as less than, as not good enough. 
And we find ourselves in a similar place to Mephibosheth and we refer to ourselves as a dead dog. And we view ourselves as lower than because we've, we've misaligned our understanding of who we are in Christ, right? Because we have to, to re-examine the fact that we have been anointed by him and that he has called us his own and that he has said, you are my children, right? He, he says we are adopted into the family, right? So we have to understand that in that we have a new father, right? So going back to this whole idea that salvation is our greatest strength in overcoming and remembering who Christ has called us to be, right? Because here's what happens is in depression, we begin to press down who we are. We begin to belittle us and we begin to, to remove the greatness that God has placed in us. Because here's what I know is that God has has not ever and will never make a mistake. And he has not and will not gift people incorrectly or, or with the right amount, but that God has called each of us to a specific purpose and a specific reason, and that, that you have purpose in your life, that you have reason for your life, and that God wants to align you to what he has created you for, and that when we misplace and we put ourselves outside of who Christ has called us, and we basically reject the anointing, hear me, understand, not to say you've walked away from salvation, get what I'm saying. But you, you say, no, I am not that. I am not who God has said I am. All of a sudden, we have now diminished the work of the cross. Because Jesus said, no, I gave my life for you so that you might be anointed with the oil of gladness, right? The oil of joy, the joy that comes from salvation, and so when we begin to slip further and further into the depression in these dark moments and in this life, we then begin to diminish the work of the cross. And Jesus says, no, 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 I have made you a new creation. Step into who I have called you to be and allow me then to bring you to the table in the presence of your enemies with everybody watching on and seeing and watching and let them see me anoint you with the oil. And say, no, 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 you are my distinguished guest. You are welcome here. You are welcome here. There was a book that was published um, in the 1800s called Oriental Customs. And, and, and there was a, a Captain Wilson wrote about an experience that he had uh, that was similar to what was spoken by, by David in this psalm. And he says this, he says, I once had this ceremony performed on me in the house of a great and rich Indian, in the presence of a large company, the gentlemen of the house poured upon my hands and arms a delightful, odiferous perfume, put a golden cup into my hands, and poured wine into it until it ran over, assuring me at the same time that it was a great pleasure to him to receive me and that I should find a rich supply of my needs in his house. I love what he said, that he found great pleasure in receiving him. Know this, that the Father finds great pleasure in receiving you into his table for you to banquet in the presence of your enemies. As we walk through dark moments, as we walk through difficulty in our life, as we go through stress and worry and depression and anxiety, the Father wants you to know that you are are loved and, and, and welcomed, and it is his, he, he greatly receives you. Otherwise, there would be no table. Otherwise, it would be, and the Lord throws a few crumbs my way to sustain me until I make it to the other side. No, 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 no. But he gives so much more. 
so much more. The fourth thing this, this morning is this. The Lord blesses you. The Lord blesses you. He says, my cup overflows. If you're anything like me, you find the most stress in your life is derived from our needs. In the moments when we are lacking, the stress is increasing. Have you been there before where you go, oh man, I don't know how we're going to make this payment. I don't know how we're going to... You walk through those hard moments. Where, uh, I know early on in Lauren and I's marriage, we were poor people. And it was uh, a very... There were some hard moments, right? When we were going... All right, well, uh, we're going to have pancakes for dinner again for the fourth night this week, right? Or, or spaghetti tomorrow, and then we'll have leftovers for two more days, right? That was just kind of the world we lived in. And in that moment, here's what I found. In that moment, all of our needs were always met. It's the coolest thing in the world. It's that trusting and understanding that in spite of how little we may have actually had, our cup overflowed. And it's, we have to reframe our understanding of the blessing of the Father because I think in the American theology, we have twisted what it means to walk in the blessing of the Lord, right? That, that if you're not walking in the blessing of the Lord, then, then you're, 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 you're poor and that you don't have anything and that, you know, the blessing of the Lord is only, uh, is, is wealth and, and all this. So we have to reframe our understanding of what it means to walk in the blessing of the Lord because it's not this, this name it and claim it and this, this word of faith and this prosperity gospel. And so uh, we can go through all that at another time, but understand that the blessing of the Lord in our cup overflowing is really a reference to all of our spiritual needs being met, and that when we rest in the spiritual needs and when we find the fulfillment of our cup overflowing correctly, that everything else is diminished and everything else that we feel that we need or that we want, it, 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 it decreases. Because we find ourselves in this going, all that I need, it gets back to verse one, is in my good shepherd. I lack nothing. And this is that parallel back to the beginning. If the Lord is your shepherd, if you are walking with the good shepherd in his protection, under his covering, knowing that he is leading us by quiet waters and he is making us to lie down in green pastures, that even in the darkest valleys as we walk through the hardest times of our lives and we don't fear evil because we know the Lord is with me, this good shepherd, and we go through this banquet and this table is spread before us in the presence of my enemies and my cup overflows. Why? Because if the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And this whole understanding that all the way back to the beginning, he has laid out the prescription of what it is to debunk the ideas of stress and worry and anxiety and say, you know what? There is nothing else I need because I have the good shepherd. I am covered by the Father. I am protected by the Lord in all things. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Or the Lord is my shepherd, Shepherd, I shall not want. No desire for anything else because I am rooted in who the Father is. I'll invite the worship team to join me. Paul in Philippians 4.19, he says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of of his glory in Christ Jesus. When he writes that, he's writing to the church of Philippi and he first thanks them for them sending provision because Paul was in need and he's, he's, he's reassuring them, listen, as the same that I was in need 
and, and you gave to me, that was through the leading of the Lord and God meeting my needs. He said, in the same way that you have been so gracious to me, in the same way that you have poured out to me and that you've helped me in my time of need, he said, the Lord will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And when we begin to understand that God cares for me enough, no matter what I face, no matter what I walk through, no matter what I'm up against, he cares for me. And he'll meet my needs. No matter what I face, no matter how dark it gets, he loves you. And he does care for you. His heart and his desire is to see you madly and passionately in love with him, with the, with the desire for him just stirred inside your soul where you go, God, I want to pursue you in all things so that all of it returns back to the Father, so that he's glorified, so that he's magnified, like it says in verse 3, for his name's sake. And when we begin to reshift our understanding that that I, I, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not this. And, and we say, no, 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 no. You have been anointed with the oil from the Father. And you say, okay, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Let me walk in the fullness of the joy of your salvation. gone through this, I and mean, we've got one more week in this series, and, and man, we're going to talk about what, what, is the, what are those spiritual blessings that, that we walk in, and he says, man, surely goodness and mercy, your goodness and mercy will follow me all the day. Man, it's, next week's going to be a lot of fun. We just get to walk through, what is, what is God giving us? What is he pouring out to us? What does the shepherd want for us? Surely your goodness and your mercy will follow me all the days. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, can I be here next week because I'm already getting excited about it. It's just, and we haven't even finished this week, so that's good. Just that understanding that he cares for you. And sometimes I think in, in the moment, in our darkest moments, it's easy to feel distant from the Lord. Right? It's easy to go, God, where are you? It's so bad right now. I'm, I'm so stressed out. I'm so, I'm, I'm just, anxiety and worry is tearing me apart on the inside. And you go, Father, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I don't feel you. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Remember, remember, remember. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I've been here the whole time. I've been here the whole time. And I want you to stop. And I want you to rest. And in this moment, with everything raging around you, I want you to come and sit at my table. I want you to sit at my table and know that you're my distinguished guest. It is my honor to have you at the table. And that's not to glorify us. It's not to glorify us and who we are because the Lord knows we're not that great. And he loves us anyways. So my hope today is that you're just encouraged just encourage that, listen, as dark as it may get, the Lord's not walking away from you. He's not turning his back on you. He hasn't separated. He hasn't drifted into the background and be like, I'm here. Just, you got to shout a little louder to hear, you know, we got to talk a little, call me, right? No, 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 that's not where the Lord's at. He's still very much present. He's still walking with you. And he says, just take peace. 
and knowing that I'm here. I'm here. Cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. He gives you peace that passes all understanding. Even when your enemies are looking on and he says, just eat in front of them. Just let them watch. I love that idea. That they're sitting there and they're hungry. They want to attack. They want to do it again. And you go, oh, excuse me. I'm going to get another bite. Excuse me while I eat a little more. You having a good time over there watching this, right? It's the whole idea that, man, in the presence of your enemies, just indulge in front of them in the goodness of the Father. Just soak it up. Just get to the point where you've had so much turkey, the tryptophan takes over, and you go and lie down in the green pasture by quiet waters and just rest. And you go, man, there is nothing in this world that is so great that it can rob me of the joy of my salvation. It tries to. It tries to. But know that the joy of the Lord is our strength, and it will sustain us if we place our trust in Him in all moments, in all things. Father, Lord, you're so good. You're so good to us. You're so good in all moments, in all things, in the darkest times, and in the hardest moments. Lord, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, we will fear no evil. We're not going to fear any attacks on us. We're not going to be stricken by by the fear that comes from the world around us. But Lord, we're going to walk boldly confidence that that you are with us because you are protecting us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us, Lord. And in the presence of our enemies, you've prepared a table before us. You've prepared a table for us. You've anointed us with oil. And you just pour out your blessing, Lord, and our cup overflows. Our cup overflows. Lord, this morning we ask, let our hearts be realigned. Let us reignite the joy of your salvation. Let us find that again stirring in us, Lord, that we walk out of here today, Lord, not not, not brought down by what's around us, but, Lord, that we walk out in peace with the joy of the Lord as our strength, with the joy of the Lord as our strength, as we are reminded of the goodness of your salvation. And we take heart in that, that we take with us the goodness of your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Lord, this morning, as we as we end our time together, Lord, I pray that you go with us, that you walk with us throughout this week, Lord, as we spend time contemplating this psalm, as we spend time reading through this psalm and allowing this to just be an encouragement to us and a reminder to us that the Lord is with us that the Lord our God is for us, that the Lord our God is, is covering us, he's protecting us, he's walking with us. Lord, and through all of that, let us stir our affection for you. Let us stir a desire for the Lord and that it pours over into praise and thanksgiving this week as we return glory back to your name, Lord. Let it all be for you. God, I pray blessing protection on every every person here today, every family represented. God, I pray that your hand will be with them. Go with them and lead them and guide them this week. God, I pray for divine appointments for people that need to know Jesus today. Lord. I pray that you'll walk with them. We give you glory. We give you honor for it. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let me say this.
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.